right, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me uh, to John chapter 10, verse 10, as well as Ephesians 1. John 10, 10, uh, and Ephesians 1. And uh, using Paul's rich letter to the Ephesians, the author, he wants uh, the believers to know the wealth that is theirs as a member of God's family. If you do not have a handout, there are handouts uh, there in the back, uh, and we can get one for you if you need one. But not only is a Christian being changed into his image, but we were created for God's glory. And I dealt with this on Sunday, that <clears throat> God's glory is absolutely all that we're about as believers. We want God to be glorified with everything that we do. When a believer comes to grips with the heavenly realities, his attitudes and our actions, they change. And when we look at this very idea, let's look at Ephesians 1, verse uh, 3 first. Ephesians 1, 3, and then we'll turn over to John 10. But what is happening here is the desire of God is to get our hearts upon the heavenlies. In verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. This is what we as believers have been given. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we have spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. This is what he's already given to us. We have it, but many times we fail to receive that, and there's things that we allow into our lives, and we lose focus. We lose our purpose for who we are what our relationship with God is. In John chapter 10, verse 10, if you want to look there, John 10, 10, The thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. This is Satan. He is destroying lives, he's killing lives, he's stealing lives. And he's stealing the joy and he's killing, uh, in regards to believers, they're allowing him to have an impact on their lives. But look with me what Jesus promises. I am come that they might have life. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and that they might have it more abundantly. So God's desire for our Christian life is to have abundant life. He doesn't want us just going through life wallowing and just barely getting by. From all of his personal interactions with others, we know that what God says in his word works. If you want a psychological manual for life, the word of God is your answer. With a combination of sound exposition and personal illustration, we're going to look at how to get to rubber meeting the road. How do I get this book, God's Word, God's love letter, to work in my everyday life? That's what we're trying to look at. And it's only the simpleness of choosing God's way in my life. I've got to determine in my life that what the Bible says is true, number one. Number two, if it says it, I'm going to do it. That is, that's God's desire. The Bible's desire is for us to realize the marvelous redemptive work that Jesus has done in our lives on our behalf through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and how do these truths filter down 
from up here in the heavenlies and the theological into the everyday problems and struggles of life. How do I get from here to here to make the Bible apply to every area of my life and help me to overcome whatever it is that is holding me back for God in my life? So there's applications. And that God's desire is that we would grow spiritually to the next step, or if you would, to a higher plane. May we decrease and may Jesus increase. And so as I look at this, the vibrant Christianity, the burden for this study is the opportunities that God has given uh, You know, in regards to as we as believers grow in the Lord. And sometimes you're like, if you've ever read a missionary biography or you read about someone in a life, a, a, someone faithful in church and They've gone through some incredible difficulties, and yet they still seem to have the joy of the Lord. Or someone, no matter what comes their way, they, they just seem to just plod along. And, and, and they're, not, uh, they're not oscillating, and they're not vacillating like a roller coaster. They're just steady for the Lord. How do we do that? There are countless Christians whose lives are driven and filled with guilt failure, heartache, and trouble. Lives filled with restlessness, joylessness, and energy-draining activities. The experience of many believers in churches today would very, could easily be summed up by John 10.10. 10. Steal, kill, and destroy. Christians' lives who are just floundering, they're just kind of barely hanging on. But this is not a new phenomenon. As we find in the, the quote that you see up there, among the many pr- who profess the Christian faith, scarcely one in a thousand reveals any passionate thirst for God. What does it look like to have a thirst for God? And while we ponder this kind of this condition of many believers, Ephesians has much to say to us. And Paul wants us to get our minds to the heavenly places. You know what? God's given us unbelievable promises. Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection was not just to to, uh, guarantee me eternity in heaven. It was to defeat the sins that I deal with on a daily basis. It was to defeat the hurts and the pains that I struggle with. Now, you might be saying, well, pastor, I'm still struggling. Maybe I'm not a good Christian. You know what? It's not about whether you're good or bad. It's about that every one of us can grow. So don't beat yourself up. I'm not there, pastor. I'm not. Don't compare yourself with others. If your desire is to learn and grow, that's all that God's desire. So you're not beating yourself up. I wish I would have. You can do that all day long, but you're not going to grow that way. Your desire is, what does the Bible say? Yes, there might have been things in the past I didn't want to do, but you know what? I'm desiring to grow and I'm going to grow. That's all that God's desiring. So don't beat yourself up. You're thinking, well, I'm, I'm not all that God wants me to be. You know what? None of us are all that God wants us to be yet. We're all a work in progress. And so as we think about this very thing, uh, strong Christian homes cannot be built out of weak Christians. And there is a need more than ever before for strong Christian homes, whether single whether married, 
whatever the case, there is a need for God to be the foundation, the bedrock of every home. The emphasis of this study is the foundation of a solid believing family. The study is rather a look at, a base, at those basic truths of the faith that built the solid Christianity of the first century. How do I get to be like the first century Christian? How do I get to have the faith? Wherein persecution came, they spread everywhere, the gospel flourished, churches were started, and Christ's name was magnified. How do you deal with it? I mean, can you imagine just thinking about this? As we look at these chapters here and we look at the study that the Apostle Paul, again, he was a great persecutor of the church and yet the believers brought them into the church. He killed their family, the moms and the dads. He would have killed others, but yet he got saved. He came into the church And you're sitting across the pew of the very man who imprisoned maybe your dad, your mom, or even killed them. You're sitting in the same church as him. What are you going to think? Or even worse, he or even you know worse in in the carnal mind, he gets up and he begins to preach, and you're just like, who is this man that did this to my family? The Bible is giving us the truths to make how. What has Jesus done for me? And the Apostle Paul, as the Word of God tells us in the book of Ephesians, it is a study of major themes, really particularly of Ephesians. The crowning epistle of the New Testament, essential doctrines of the faith, and meditation upon the themes will give us a sense of transcendence. We get to see things that are beyond our physical existence. We get to begin to see this present world the way God sees it. When I can look at how things are going on in this world, and you might be saying, Pastor, how does this relate to my purpose? How does this relate to despair? Just wait. Okay, I'm getting there. I'm just laying some of the the early uh, parts for this. Now, we did look at, some time ago, a series called Change into His Image, God's Plan for Transforming uh, Your Life. It dealt with essential elements of biblical change. Now, this book uh, deals more with God's marvelous redemptive work. We start here. We bring, you know, when we get saved, whatever age you are, if you're saved young, you have less baggage. But if you're saved older, many times we have baggage. And we bring that into our, our Christian life. And, and, and that baggage that we have, uh, we so often carry it with us, much like uh, you would find in John Bunyan's work, The Pilgrim's Progress, is Christian, you know, this is before the cross, but he's carrying burdens. But we as Christians after the cross so many times are carrying these burdens, uh, these hurts and these pains from the past, and we're not letting the redemptive work of Christ do what it was meant to do. Yes, it saves us, but it also gives us power over sin. And the truth of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ must filter down from not just salvation and being born again. But how do I deal with unexpected circumstances of life? How do I deal with horrific things from the past? We're going to survey the things that God has in the heavenlies. If a life is filled with doubt, restlessness, despair, failure, boredom, And this is the study for you. 
Some might find this challenging because it deals with some topics maybe unfamiliar uh, to modern believers. And in looking at this, and as we study changing to his image, some of the things from that, uh, a further understanding, this is kind of a sequel to this, that <clears throat> the, the Bible is not just a theological book. It is not just a book to be taught in seminaries, in colleges, in high places, for some smart people in some secluded place. The Bible is meant, even as William Tyndale, he says, I want it even for the plow boy. The Bible is for everyone. This book and God's word is meant to be applied. It is not just for uh, some Again, literary exercises, some works that I have to do to try to do good enough to try to make my way to heaven. That's not what it's for. The Bible gives us spirit-filled accounts of believers and the church and how people serve God. As we look at, you would find in Acts and you would find in the other epistles, we find churches that had problems. I mean, if you want to talk about a church that has problems, talk about the church of Corinth. I mean, here's a man in the church sleeping with his dad's wife. And there were a whole bunch of other really odd things going on in the church. Really, this would be, if you want to think about it, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of a first century blue-collar workers. The Bible gives us how the believers in the first century, how they lived their lives. God's admonitions and how to be a better church. The Bible was intended to be thoroughly understood by everyone. Practiced by all of us. The essential elements that we're going to look at as we go through this study, it ought to apply to every part of our life. And I trust it will. And so as we look at this, seeing the invisible... What a first, what you don't see can hurt you. Before I go any further, let's say a quick word of prayer. And I hope, kind of whet your appetite for what lies ahead. Created in his image, I want to tell you that there is great victory and freedom in Jesus Christ. It takes time as we walk with him, and we learn to just simply trust him. But my friend, it's worth it all. As we sang that last song, seeing the face of Jesus, look unto Jesus, or something like that was the last song in my mind. But I trust that we would get our perspectives right. Bring the world into the biblical perspective, and may we live the abundant Christian life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. Lord Jesus, I thank you uh, for the victory that I have in you. And Father, I pray in my life and in the lives of each and every person here that, Lord, that which has characterized our past, that, Lord, we learn how to biblically deal with those. But also, Lord, that we would receive the healing that comes from the great physician's hands. Healing our hearts, healing our spirits, our souls, and bringing us 
into the abundant life, the victorious life. Lord Jesus, I love you. I need your help tonight. Help me to communicate and convey the truths tonight that would be pleasing to you. I love you, Jesus. In your precious name I pray. Amen. What you, do, what you don't see can hurt you. If you think about this, a skateboard, if you're at night and you're upstairs in a house, if you have a house with two stories or whatever and you have to stairs to go downstairs and imagine a kid leaves their skateboard on the stairwell. If you encounter that skateboard with the lights off and you step on that skateboard, it could fundamentally change your life for good. I mean, you could have a wild ride down those stairs, depending upon where those stairs are, depending upon where that skateboard's left. I mean, it could have an incredible impact, an invisible bacteria. Imagine you go get a chicken salad sandwich, and and there's some bacteria in it. I don't know if you've ever had food poisoning, but my, oh my, it will upset your days. I mean, it's uncomfortable. It is not uh, something, uh, you know. Uh, How about an undetected virus on your computer? Do you think that could ever change things? Now, I know there's a lot of cloud computing and a lot of cloud backups now that help things. But nevertheless, especially I remember years ago, I would go through, I created a report, and then all of a sudden something happened. I forgot to save it, and it was wiped clean, and I'm just like heartbroken. I lost everything. Or imagine you get a virus on your computer, and it wipes your computer, and you're just like, how do I start back from that? You didn't see it. You know, if an individual has a heart attack, uh, a buildup of cholesterol plaque on their, lot, uh, on their heart, uh, or cancer that you don't see until it goes into imaging or whatever, uh, or blood tests, it, it can change your life, something you don't see. There's also a spiritual realm that can change you, though you don't physically see it. And we must take the adequate measures to shield ourselves from these unseen menaces in the world. The spiritual dimension is more real many times than even the physical that we see. And as we, living in the light of the unseen spiritual realm, can add joy and peace to everything that happens in the physical realm, both good and calamitous. And as we look at this, take, for example, Paul's experiences when he was in jail. He was arrested for disturbing the peace. He was just preaching Jesus. That's all he was doing. He exercises a demon from a girl. Her owners were so angry that they lost money on her. I mean, she wasn't making them the money they, they thought she, they could have. And so they threw him into prison. He's bloody. He's beaten. He's scourged. He's cold. And yet he and Silas in prison are singing to the Lord at midnight. It was the joy on the lives of Paul and Silas that would bring the jailer to his knees when the earthquake happened. It opened all the doors and every one of the the prisoners could have ran away, but they didn't. Pain, whether emotional, physical, many times... It, it focuses our attention to physical circumstance. I mean, it galvanizes us. It, 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 I mean, we're just like glued to the pain that I'm feeling in my life, in my heart, 
in my body. I'm glued to that. I mean, it's like falling on a sword. It's just part of who you are. And the jailer could have fallen on his sword, but Paul stopped him. He fell on his knees and he came to know Christ. What made the difference? Paul and Silas exhibited they were in pain because they had been beaten and scourged. And yet, in spite of the pain of their circumstances, they still exhibited the joy of the Lord. You say, well, that's easy. They're Paul and Silas. They're not like me. The issue is, what has Jesus done in our lives? Who is Jesus? If he's only a Sunday activity or a church activity, then I will not experience the freedom that he wants to have. Now, I'm not saying that this freedom is necessarily overnight. Because it takes time as we learn to trust him and listen to him and as, as we exercise this faith. But it made a difference. An event in Elisha's life, and we're going to look at this, this is absolutely unbelievable. Seeing the invisible... Elisha had a place where the Syrian king had come around. Uh, had, the Syrian king kept making raids on Israel. And God reveals these plans to Elisha. And the Syrian king finally comes to, un, I mean, he's just frustrated. He's like, how in the world do the Israelites always know our plans? He's thinking someone in my rank, someone in my army keeps telling Israel what we're doing. But that wasn't the case at all. Word reaches the king of, of Syria that it is Elisha, a man of God. And so this king, he is ready to destroy Elisha. Imagine this. You're now surrounded in your small town with an army that can obliterate you in a moment. If you have something in your life that is surrounding you as a mighty army and you just feel like, man, that pressure is coming and your heart is just increasing with worry and anxiety and stress and you're just like, <gasps> how do I move forward? Let's look at 2 Kings 6. You do see that up on the screen if you'd like. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. We, and I'm, when I say we, I'm including me. And God has really been just, in my, in my devotions, Chris, I'm God. Chris, I'm God. I'm still in control. We know that up here, but it's when the troubles come, do I really know that? It's when I face obstacles and a conflict with someone else, whomever it may be, is he still God? Because fear and the anxiety and the worry is ultimately taking my trust of God and putting it back upon myself. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, in host, so that host here is the Syrian army, 
compassed the city both with horses and chariots, and his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Elisha sees, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Elisha tells this young man, he says, listen, those that are with us are more than those that are against us. I don't care if the entire world is against you. If God is for you, you have more for you than you ever have against you. We have a God, he has all the angels. Remember this, one angel in one night with David when he, uh, when he did that census on Israel, one angel killed 70,000 people. One angel. And it talks, in the Garden of Eden, Jesus said, I can call more than 12,000, uh, you know, legions of angels. 12 legions of angels. I mean, he had enough to completely obliterate the entire population. Elisha understands something. God is God, and God is in control. When the problems come in my life, now, we all may struggle with this, and you can say, Pastor, it's easy for you to talk about. I understand that. But if we don't put this into our mind, and, and we don't take this in, that God who is with us is more than anyone against us, then I will automatically revert to the despair and the struggles of life. Because who is God? As you think about this, what a comfort those invisible hosts must have been to Elisha's servant at this time. I mean, can you imagine? You see thousands of Syrian army people heavily armored against a tiny little town. And you don't have the technology or the men to, to push him away. I mean, you are vastly outnumbered. Let me bring it down to a everyday life. You have some things in your life that were so overwhelming with an army, with a pain, with struggles in your life, and you were just absolutely overwhelmed. Now, we don't necessarily see things like this in this dispensation, but God has given us, number one, His Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, God's Spirit indwells you to give you spiritual insight. Number two, He's also given us the Word of God. That we can see what this world is about, and I can look at the evil in this world and say, wow, this is... What I'm seeing around me is there's a Syrian army all around me. The Bible, these things are written for our examples, but it is written for our examples to give us hope. My friend, there is nothing you face in your life that God cannot help. And you can say, well, pastor, that's easy for you to say. The problem is, as we go to our next slide, that life is more dangerous when you can't see. 
blindness to what is going on in my spiritual life, blindness to what is going on in this world, it creates a handicap. Because I'm not, under, I'm not seeing the world the way God does. That servant of Elisha was absolutely smitten with fear because he didn't see as Elisha saw. If you are legally blind, there's things you just don't see. It's much more difficult as a physical handicap. Many times there's students, maybe on a university, Christian students, and, and they are blind, and the author talks about it. Rather than being stubborn, stubborn and self-reliant, because they had, you know, they had some limitations on their senses. These individuals would exhibit a God's sufficiency for them. And through their spiritual lives, seeing him who is invisible, they were able to exhibit the humility and the faith in God that others noticed around them. I had a friend of mine many years ago he was quadriplegic. He couldn't use his hands. He couldn't use his legs. And yet he still exhibited a joy. And he and I got along very well until he passed away. He's probably my best friend. And uh, we'd go on trips together. I'd have to get him dressed, take him to the washroom, get him showered and bathed. And we just had a wonderful time, even though there was some additional work required. But I just loved being with him. Because the focus was, I mean, we'd go skiing together. Now, he sat in a chair, and he had a ski person take him down, but he's like, hey, if there's an ability to do it, let's go, let's jump, let's go, you know. We don't see the obstacles. Elisha said, God, I'm in trouble. Many times we run to our fear, we run to shelter, we run to isolate ourselves from everyone else rather than being where God is with God's people and just sometimes just getting alone with God. You know, sure, an individual who's blind may need to move around life a little bit slower as they tap their way and they feel their way through or someone walks them. They're going to be a little bit more cautious because they don't want to get hurt. You know, they're not going to be able to find the hidden dangers like slippery when wet or wet floor. Or those, they, they can't see that. So they need someone who has eyes to see. Now, life is certainly more dangerous for the physically blind, but as Proverbs 22, if you want to look that up, it is up there, up, up in front, but it's Proverbs 22, verses 3 and 5, there is a spiritual blindness that is even more dangerous in Proverbs 22, verse 3, a prudent man, it means a man who's exercising caution, foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. By humility, verse 4, thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. That's the stubborn man. He that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. So the Bible is telling us, he says, listen, a man who's cautious, exercising discernment, he sees evil. And he knows what to do with it. The simple man will go through life and he gets beat up. 
he gets punished. And not sometimes because he's ignorantly doing things, they just don't know. The Bible's given us, here's some traps, here's some uh, roadblocks, here's some potholes, and these potholes, they'll mess you up. Have you ever hit a bad pothole here in Thompson? I mean, <laughs> the roads have gotten a little bit better over the last few years, but there's, I mean, I remember over there by the police station, that road between, by A&W and the police station and the TI over there, that, I think it was a gravel road, man, that thing was horrible. And there's all times over there by Westwood, over there by uh, the, the Wawate, uh, there's a pothole there, oftentimes it forms, and man, you could like sink a tire in that sucker. Not of any necessarily any fault, but you go down something, you go down a direction in life, and then some real painful things happen, and you're like, how did this happen? The Bible's giving us some admonition, some instruction of how to deal with this. So a man with spiritual perception can see the difficulties ahead and prudently avoid them, but the path of the spiritually blind will be filled with hidden traps. What may seem like momentary indulgences in innocent pleasures becomes life-dominating habits that hold them in ever-constricting traps. The simple person might say, I can indulge in this one thing for one night and I'll be okay. Years later, they'll say, I wish I would have never taken that first indulgence. I remember there was a story, they were talking about a documentary on the streets of British Columbia in Vancouver, and this one young man, he was living on the streets, and he said, I wish I would have never taken that first drink of alcohol. He wanted to die. I mean, his life was just a mess. There's a lot of other things that we can indulge in, and it becomes so dominating in our lives Sometimes we can just get to that place of fear, and fear dominates everything we do. And before long we know it, we find ourselves in a place we wish, how do I get out of here? How do I get out of the calamity that's coming? Many, don't, many people just don't, you see them, they don't understand the entrapment. It isn't necessarily just the drugs and the alcohol or the immorality, or the pornography, or anything else in our life. Uh, it could be overworking, or overeating, or, you know, all sorts of things that can come upon us. I mean, social media uh, technology can definitely be one of those vices. I mean, you've seen that as we go along, it's getting ever more uh, predominant. I saw even today, there was a gentleman, he, was, uh, he had talked about, he said, I was on the train there, a friend of my wife's, and uh, he had mentioned, he said, I was on the train, subway in New York City, and about 10 kids got on the top of the subway and started walking on the train while it was moving because they were tempted to do such by social media. <laughs> They're doing some very dangerous things. What is it that we're allowing to affect us? Proverbs fourteen twelve. if you want to look at this, Definitely, we'll have to continue this next week. But uh, Proverbs fourteen twelve, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The simple man 
as we find here, there's a way which seems right unto man. A lot of people say, this is how I should live my life. This is what I'm going to do with my life. Years later, when you catch up with them, you're like, hey, how'd your plans go? Uh, well, um, um, this happened, this happened, this happened. It didn't really work out the way I thought it would. And they find themselves quite far off from what they had originally intended. A person goes down a path without living in the victory of Christ, without letting God be the focus, without letting the word of God be the guide, and they find themselves in a very painful position, and they're just scratching their heads saying, how in the world do I get out of this? We find in Proverbs chapter 7, there's a simple man who's naive about the consequences of going into a harlot, and he goeth after her uh, straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hasted to the snare and knoweth not that it's for his life. He goes into this woman for a one-night stand and he finds himself in a whole lot of pain. The key in this idea here, Proverbs 7, 22 and 23, is that he knoweth not. He's spiritually insensible. And what the Bible is trying to say is, listen, if we've messed up, here's how to make it right. Or if you haven't gone in, into certain ways... Don't go that way. It's giving us a warning, and it's giving us how to get out of troubles, how to get out of the pain of the past and the struggles. I'm not saying it's easy. But there's a way which seemeth right unto a man. We have to stop living our lives thinking I'm in control. And I need to see what God thinks about how to live my life, how to move forward, how to conduct my everyday affairs. There's a way which seems right. And God is trying to say, Christian, please, I want to give you the abundant life. I want you to have joy and peace and victory. I don't want you to be steal, kill, and destroy. I don't want that to be you know, an epitaph of your life. You can have victory and power over sin in your life. But it's going to take not being simple. It's going to take a study of God's Word. And this is what we're going to look at. And next week, we'll start off with lessons from a medicine cabinet. I won't start there for the sake of time this evening, but I just wanted to give you a taste of where we're going. Because my friend, God is saying, the purpose for your life is not as you determine. I've got something way better. I've got something that'll help you avoid unnecessary pain in your life. All of us are going to suffer pain, but I'm going to give you things to help you to deal with sorrow. How do I deal with sorrow? Sorrow is natural for all of us. But how do I deal with sorrow? Sorrow many times turns into despair, and that's where the real problem comes. And I trust that as you come back next week, we'll look at this again if you have questions, feel free to reach out. But we have been created for God's glory, and there is a wonderful plan for your life. But I can't stay ignorant. I can't stay simple. God has a plan. He's got a plan out of trouble. He's got a plan to avoid trouble. And he's got a plan for the success in your life. Let's pray, and then we'll come to our prayer time afterwards. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. 
And Father, many years ago in my own personal life, some real struggles. And Lord, step by step, little by little, sometimes I'd fall, you'd pick me back up, and we'd walk forward. Lord, you've carried me through some dark places. Father, I pray that for each and every one of us, that, Lord, we would just learn how we've been created for your glory. Lord, we would learn to embrace the victory, the abundant life that you so freely want to give to us. There's nothing we can do for it. It's already given. But, Lord, we must not be simple. We must study your word and find the truths and the hope that only you can give. Lord Jesus, I love you, and I thank you for these truths. I pray that you would just bless it. I pray that you'd help each and every individual here, help us to walk closer with thee. If there's anyone here tonight that does not know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that they would settle that decision, that they would know for sure. They wouldn't say, well, I think I'm saved, but, or that they would say, I know I'm saved. And if they don't, Lord, I pray that they would ask. Lord, for those of us as Christians, Father, I pray, Lord, that I would learn the power of your word. Lord, that I would learn to see the invisible as your word describes it. Lord, we need to start seeing the spiritual realm. And Lord, start seeing how powerful you are and how weak we really are. Lord, I yield all of this to thee. I love you. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.